morning, church. Know what you're thinking? Pastor Benny, you look younger. <laughs> and also a lot less handsome. Um, what church, uh, Pastor Benny does send his apologies that he cannot be here to personally uh, finish up his sermon, uh, his series on the book of Jonah. I, and I'm sure you and he definitely would love to finish the series that he's been um, building us up to. Um, he, for the last three Sundays, he's been covering the book of Jonah. And this is the final part of that series. But because he contracted COVID, um, he's in isolation at the moment. This is his last day. Last day. So we pray that he will rest up. I know. I tried to dodge the bullet, but the bullet got me. So, um, so, but you know, I'm excited to share the Word of God with you. I'm glad that God can speak through any vessel, even when it's broken as this one. But um, but really excited for today. Now, uh, when Pastor Benny began this series, he said that he wanted to take us into this um, story, into this book, beyond what Sunday school has taught us. A lot of us have a Sunday school knowledge um, of the story of Jonah. We think we know about his, he ran away, we know about the fish, we know maybe about Nineveh, but many of us don't really know what exactly is going on in the book of Jonah. And I found this cool um, book, my Bible, no, I'm kidding, it's not my Bible. Um, but, yeah, you got that? Yeah, so I found this at my, um, my parents' house, uh, my daughter's grandparents, and um, they bought this for her, and I found this, Jonah and the fish. See that? I'm the massive fish who ate Jonah when he ran, and Jonah prayed and God forgave him. Then he carried out God's plan. Isn't that a cool story? And you know, so far, we've gone through three chapters. And that's the story we've gotten, isn't it? And many of us, we are familiar with this story. We're familiar with the big fish. We're familiar with Jonah praying to God for forgiveness. And then God forgives him, and he goes and carries out God's plan. And that's chapter 3. And we think that, oh, that's a great story. That's a great story. It has a happy ending. Everyone lives. Everyone's happy. And it's all good. But that's not the story of Jonah. We still have chapter four. And chapter four is weird. Because in chapter four, we see the true heart of Jonah. We see the true heart of Jonah. And we see what happens, his reaction to the Ninevites' repentance. And it's not great. It's not great. And it shows Jonah is not the really repentant guy that we think he is. He's actually a bit messed up. And the reason why chapter 4 is so important, in fact, I dare say, it's the most important chapter. It's what the entire book has been leading up to. It's been leading up to this point. We cannot ignore chapter 4 because chapter 4 is the point. Chapter 4 is what the author of the book of Jonah wants to show us. It acts like a mirror for us. The whole purpose of the book of Jonah is not to be a nice story that ends well and has a great happy ending. It's meant to show us the condition of our hearts. It's meant to act like a mirror for our souls and for us to go, oh, I am Jonah. I am Jonah. For every Israelite that would read the book of Jonah, the scroll of Jonah, that would read it and go, my goodness, I see so much of myself in the prophet Jonah. And that is the purpose, and that's what we are going to do today. 
We're going to stare at it, we're going to look at it, we're going to study it, and we're going to see, hopefully, prayerfully, the condition of our own hearts. And um, in the book of Jonah, um, it's a powerful mirror for our own hearts. So, let's dive into it. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. It's also on the screen, but I'd love you to turn there with me in your Bible so that you can follow along with me and see that what I'm saying is actually in your Bibles, okay? Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, so the Ninevites' repentance, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became very angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home in my own country, in my own land? That is what I tried to forestall or to stop by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. Let's pray. Oh Lord, open our eyes to see the condition of our hearts. And in contrast, let us see the condition of your heart. Let us catch a real good glimpse of this great God of compassion. Your heart that beats and cares for and is broken for the people of the world. And Lord, I pray, may your love pour out into our hearts and may you transform us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see in chapter four, Jonah's greatest fear had come to pass. What he had dreaded all along. Chapter one, right? God called Jonah to Nineveh. And Jonah ran away because, as you see in this chapter, he feared this very outcome. He knew, he knew his God that if God just gave them a chance, just one chance, he would not punish them. Now, there's a lot of irony in this entire book. There's a lot of irony. Jonah doesn't respond the way we think he should. I mean, he's the man of God. He's the Israelite in this story. He's a good guy. He should be the good guy. But the good guy doesn't respond the way a good guy should. And the evil people, the pagan sailors, the city of Nineveh, well, they should be punished. They're the evil guys. They're the non-Israelites. But they end up following God. 
they end up repenting. They are the obedient ones, not Jonah. And the same way here, right? The irony is that Nineveh's repentance is the greatest success story that Jonah's ever had. This is the high point in his ministry. He just said eight short words. And actually, in Hebrew, in the original language in Hebrew, it's actually five words. He preached a five-word sermon, and the entire city responded in repentance. That's incredible. That's incredible. I mean, if I got up here and said, church, be better, and all of you are just like, yes, I gotta be better, I gotta come down and, and repent before God, I'd be rejoicing. That'd be amazing. Because you see, do you notice that Jonah's sermon is not even that good? He doesn't tell you why you're being punished. He doesn't give you any reasons. He doesn't give you any context. He doesn't do good hermeneutic exposition. He doesn't do anything. And he doesn't even give you a good response. He doesn't tell you, how do I change my fate? He doesn't tell you anything. All he tells you is, 40 days and you're dead. That's it. It's the worst sermon ever. Yet it has the best results. This should be his highest moment in his entire life. He should be rejoicing. But instead, what do you see him? How do you see him reacting? He is depressed. Instead of praising God, he's angry at God. His reaction is totally opposite to what it should be. And get this. I want you to notice this, right? Do you realize that he quotes God's character to him? Do you realize that? In the beginning verses, he pretty much directly quotes Exodus chapter 34. Now, Exodus 34 is this famous moment in Scripture when God reveals his character. He passes by Moses on the mountain and he reveals his character to Moses. It's a very important passage in the Bible. And Jonah directly quotes it. I'll show you this, right? Exodus 34 verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abandoning love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Jonah pretty much quotes that. Now this, the character of God, is something that the Israelites would have leaned on, dependent on. It would have been a source of hope for them. That God is compassionate. He will relent from sending disaster. He will have compassion on them. But instead of the character of God being a source of hope and of joy for Jonah, is the source of his anger. Do you see this? Everything that is good is bad. And bad is good. This is what happens when our hearts are misaligned with God's. When our heart is misaligned, is out of sync with God's heart, everything that is, we, we, we celebrate what is bad and we get angry over what is good. That's what happens when our hearts are misaligned with God. And Jonah's heart is misaligned with God's heart. There's something out of sync. There's something that he's not getting. And what God is doing in this entire chapter is trying to transform and deal and heal the prophet's heart. And that's what we're going to see today. That's what I want to explore with you today. So what I believe we can learn from, the, from this chapter is we can see three roadblocks to making disciples. There are three roadblocks to making disciples that Jonah illustrates for us. In the life of Jonah, in the person of Jonah, in how he reacts. We see this. 
The first roadblock that I want to show you from his life is that we love people just like us. We love people just like us. Pay attention to what he says, to what he says in verse 2. It's very subtle, but it does betray how he sees Nineveh, okay? Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? Or when I was in my country, when I was in my land? See, for Jonah, Nineveh was not his home. In that social context, and it's completely understandable for someone like Jonah. It is really completely understandable. It was normal for him to see there's a clear line between us and them. You're either a Jew, a person of God, part of the chosen people of God, or you're not. Or you're an enemy, a Gentile, a pagan, someone that is an enemy of God and of Israel. And that's how he saw Nineveh. They were not his people. This was not his land. And that is why when, when, when God called him to go and preach to the, to the Ninevites, he ran away. Why? Simply put, they were not like him. These were not his people. And he did not like that. He didn't want to minister and to save people that were not like him. A Jew, an Israelite. Interestingly, years later, Peter, the Apostle Peter, he would be in Joppa, the same place that Jonah hopped on the ship to Tarshish to run away. Peter would end up in the same city, Joppa. And there, God would also call him to preach to a Gentile person called Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, you'll read this. In Acts chapter 10, right? We won't go to there. But if you read Acts chapter 10, it records how Peter was called to go to preach the gospel to a Gentile called Cornelius. And Peter was kind of reluctant to do it. Similar to Jonah, he didn't really want to go. And so God had to show him a vision of a bunch of animals. Do you remember the story? A bunch of animals came down from heaven, like a scroll, and it showed all these impure animals, pork and everything that we love, right? It would be like, he would show him all that stuff and be like, eat, go for it, you're free. And he's like, no, 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 I can't do that, never, Lord. And God had to show them this vision three times. And if you read the story in Acts chapter 10, even after the vision appearing three times, Peter's like, hmm, I wonder what that means. Peter didn't get it. He was so reluctant to go and preach to the Gentile nation. But he ends up doing it because God, he ends up getting what God is calling him to. Now, this reveals something very telling for us. It's that humanly speaking, naturally, we are hopelessly inward-looking and ethnocentric. Meaning that we naturally love people just like us. We love people just like us. Those who we are comfortable with. Those who look like us, think like us, talk like us, look like us, behave like us. We naturally love people just like us. It is a normal thing for that to happen. That is entirely normal. It is a supernatural thing though for us to love people not like us. It's a supernatural thing. It's not a normal thing. It takes the Holy Spirit to pour out God's love into our hearts to open us up for us to catch the heart of the Father to love people that are totally different from us. It is normal for us in a small group. You know, in your small groups, your connect groups, it is normal 
all the people that look like one another, who like the same things as one another, to congregate together and go, hey, we're, we're all one group. We, we all love one another. Of course you do. You love yourself. <laughs> They're exactly like you. Of course you do. That's no stretch. That's not, you shouldn't be applauded for that. That's normal. Anyone can do that. What's supernatural is if your group is full of people not like you. They dress differently, think differently, like different cuisines from you, have different values from you even, who grew up differently from you. That is supernatural, church. That is supernatural. That takes the work of the Holy Spirit gripping our hearts and opening us up to how God sees people. That is a supernatural work. And we see that in the life of Jesus, don't we? And the reason why I want to bring you to the life of Jesus constantly throughout this message is because not only is Jesus a model for us, for us to follow, He's not just that. He is, but He's not just that. The reason is why, why we need to see how Jesus lived is because we are His body. And we get that he, we are His body. That means He makes us like Him. He, we, he wants us to be like Him. He wants us to be His hands and feet on earth. And what's that, what that means is that we not only need to do the things that He did, but we need to have the same heart that He did. And therefore, it's so important that we see how Jesus lived so that we can catch His heart and the heart of this great God of compassion that we also see in Jonah. It's the same God that we see. Let me show you. Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God. Who did He spend the most time with when He was on earth? The Son of God, the most righteous person that could ever live, who does he spend most of his time with? The unrighteous, the sinners, the people who have messed up in life, who have made poor decisions, the traitors to their own culture and people, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners, the sick, the demon-possessed. Can you get more opposite to God, how can you get more opposite to God than a demon-possessed person? But he spends time with those people. He reaches out to those people. He ministers and cares for those people. People not like him. And what we are meant to do as his body, as his hands and feet, is to go and minister to people not like us. The power of the church is that we are to make disciples of all nations, all nations, and it took a long time for the early church to get this. If you read Acts and you read the epistles, what you will see is that one of the biggest issues that they faced was how Gentile people, people like the Ninevites, could be part of God's people. That was the biggest issue, one of the biggest issues facing the early church. And today, today, we're still facing that issue. Maybe it's not the difference between Jew and Gentile. Because for most of us, we are all Gentiles, <laughs> ethnically. But for us, we face divisions, segregations, class divisions, people who think differently, people who are older, younger than us, people who have different upbringings, people who talk differently, people who are from a different social class. That shouldn't matter. In the church, there's, there's no difference between Jew or Gentile, slave or free male or female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. That is the power of this body, of this church. And see, for Jonah, for Jonah, he was thinking naturally. He was thinking naturally. And we can understand why he thought that way. But what God is doing is going, Jonah, catch my heart. 
my heart is not just for people like you. My heart is for the entire world. People that are enemies of you. People who do not like you. People who don't even like God. And that is God's heart still today. And we need to catch that. What Jonah is, is a mirror to our own hearts. What is your heart like? What is your heart like? And please don't be tempted to just reduce this to missions. Oh, you mean I got to be going on a short-term mission trip? Yes, but no. Yes, go check out the missions booth. Absolutely. But it also starts here. Let me ask you this. Can you find someone that's different from you right here, right now? Of course you can. Yes, I'm looking around. I can see a lot of people that are different from me. There are a lot of people that are different from you, even in this church community. In John chapter 17, what is the high priestly prayer that Jesus prays for his church, for his disciples? I want to read you it. John 17. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be, may, they may be brought to a complete unity. Then the world. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. How we love one another, and the church, by the way, is full of people not like us, was meant to be. How we love one another is a testimony, is a declaration, is a picture of God to the world, of God's love for the world. Therefore, we've got to start here. We've got to start here. People who are not like us. When you go outside, are you just loving people that are like you? Or are you loving people that are totally different from you? In your small groups, is your small group just filled? Are you only welcoming to people that are just like you? That, that new person that comes in, he goes, ooh, that person's a bit weird. I don't know if I can get along with that person. Oh, too bad. Too bad. That's God's heart for him, for her. Catch the heart of the Father. That is what this book of Jonah, that's what the story of Jonah is trying to shine a spotlight on the condition of our own hearts. Condition of our own hearts. We naturally love people just like us. The second roadblock is that he was too focused on the blessing. Too focused on the blessing. Now, to understand why Jonah reacted this way, he, he had such a strong reaction, um, is to, is, is, we need to understand that Jonah had a misalignment. He had a misunderstanding of God's desire and vision for the Jewish nation. Jonah had completely missed the point of why they were the chosen people. See, when, um, when the father Abraham, the great ancestor of the Hebrew people, was called, God gave him this blessing in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Now, for Jonah and the Israelite people, they're tracking with this. It's good so far. I love this God. I'm going to be blessed. Yes, I'm going to be a great nation. Amen. I love this. But it doesn't stop there, does it? And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Jonah forgot about the last sentence. This was God's desire for Israel from the very 
start. Not for them just to be blessed and for them to have a good time. For them to know the Lord only. The desire and the plan all along was for Israel to be this hub, this place where God's presence dwelt and for all the nations to go look at Israel and go, wow, that's your God. He's awesome. I want to serve Him. Look at how you are blessed. I want to serve Him. I want to check out this God. The whole idea was that through Israel, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That is why Jonah, an Israelite prophet, is called to minister to a Gentile nation. If Jonah had understood the reason why he was blessed in the first place, why he was a chosen people in the first place, he would not have reacted the way he did. Because he would understand, this is why I exist. This is why I've been blessed. This is why I have been chosen by God. To be a blessing to the nations. But instead, what did he do? He ran away. Why? Because he was too focused on being blessed. You see, Jonah was very passionate and very zealous for God. That was not his problem. You see, in verse 4 of chapter 2, when he's praying in the belly of the fish, he's very passionate about God. You cannot fault him on this. I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. He delighted in the temple of God. The temple of God was his delight, but Nineveh was only his duty. He delighted in the temple of God, but Nineveh was only his duty. He understood that he was blessed, but he had completely failed to grasp the fact that he was blessed in order to be a blessing. And I think we, the church, can run into the same risk, the same trap. We are so focused on our own blessings and even the affairs of the local church so much that we neglect the task of making disciples. We forget the purpose and the reason why we have been saved. You have been blessed in order to be a blessing. So while it is incredible that you can have a relationship with God, that you can pray to Him, that He can answer your prayer, and some of you have even experienced deliverance, healing, in your life, you've been set free by God in your life in very real, tangible ways. And we know the truth. And the truth has set us free. We can look into the Scriptures and we can see God. We can know God. That, those are all incredible blessings from God. But we cannot stop there. That is not the reason why you have been saved. You have been blessed. You have received all these blessings so that you can be a blessing to others. Church, we cannot think, must not think, that this time together in church, this service right now, is the point of our salvation. This is not why you are a Christian. You are not a Christian so that you can come to church and go to this connect group. That's not the point of your salvation. If, say for example, our faith, right, is a, a game of football, or whatever it is, right, whatever sport analogy you want to use, the game of football. Well, this time together is the halftime huddle. This time here is the halftime huddle. Where we all have a break, short break, get refreshed, take a drink of water. We all debrief, encourage one another, encourage one another, edify, strengthen one another. We got fired up again. And then we get back into the game. We have to get back into the game. But for some of us, this is the point of why we exist on the field. We exist. We spend all our time in the halftime huddle. We never leave. We never leave. We keep drinking our water and we keep going, man, 
Tough out there, isn't it? <laughs> this needs to end at some point. And when the service ends, the whole point is for us to go out there and go, okay, get back into the game. Let's make disciples. Let's make disciples. Now, lest you think, I'm just talking about, again, missions. I am talking about missions. I am talking about making disciples of the people out there. Yes, and also in here. You're, so you're either making disciples inside the church or outside the church. Otherwise, and I don't want to guilt trip you, guilt trip you. That's not my intention. But maybe, just maybe, we need to have a look into our, inside ourselves and maybe we've missed the point of our salvation. Maybe we've missed something. Maybe we've so caught, about, caught up that we're saved. I have blessings from God. Yes, I'm going to church. I'm serving. Yes, yes. If, as long as you're serving inside the church or you're serving outside the church, if you're not doing either, then maybe, like Jonah, we've missed the point of why you are a chosen people, a holy nation, a people called to God. Maybe we've missed the point because we've been so focused on the blessings. I love the illustration by Paul W. Powell. He says this about the church. He says, many churches today remind him of a laboring crew trying to gather in the harvest. They gather in the tool shed every Sunday morning and they, they study bigger and better methods of agriculture. They sharpen the hose, grease the tractors, get up and go home. They maybe come back later that night, back into the tool shed, study bigger and better methods of agriculture, sharpen the hose, grease the tractors, get up, and they go home. The very passionate ones come back later that week, on Wednesday, Friday, maybe even Saturday, and they'll get back in the tool shed, study bigger and better methods of agriculture, sharpen the hose, grease the tractors, get up, and go home. They do this week in, week out, year in, year out, but never once does anyone actually go out in the field to gather in the harvest. I think that is the reality for many churches, and maybe for our lives, some of our lives. The whole point of why we've been blessed, of why we've been saved, why you know the truth, is so that you can declare the praises of God to others. So let's make disciples, whether inside or outside the church. First roadblock is that we love people not just like us. The second roadblock is that we um, are too focused on the blessings. The third roadblock that we see in the life of Jonah is that he was passionate about the wrong things. Do you notice here that the only time that Jonah is happy in this entire chapter is when the plant comes up over him? It's the only time he's happy, right? In verse six, Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head. And Jonah was very happy. Very happy, easy guy to please. But then, just as quickly as he became elated, he quickly became depressed. Then the plant withered and died. And Jonah was so angry that he wanted to die. Verse 8 to 9, when the sun rose, God made the plant die. And Jonah said, it would be better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. Now, the problem is not that Jonah is getting really passionate about something. It's okay to get passionate about things. It's okay to get worked up about, about things. But the problem was that he was getting passionate and worked up about the wrong thing. He cared more about the plant than he did about the lives of the people. And that's why in verse 10, 
the Lord goes, and we need to pay attention to the last, this last bit, because this is the point that God's trying to make. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did nothing to make it grow. Should I not have concern for this great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, meaning that they, they're lost, they don't know what they're doing, and also many animals. And this is an object lesson for Jonah. God wants to shine a spotlight on Jonah's heart to show him two things. One, wrong passion. Jonah, you're passionate about the wrong thing. He got so worked up about a plant dying that he knew for one day, so worked up, so angry, yet he was waiting with bated breath for an entire city to die. Something was wrong. Jonah, you're getting passionate about the wrong things. Secondly, you care about the wrong things. You have wrong values. Wrong values. You have placed so much value on this plant that is inanimate. I know plants are living things, but it's inanimate. It doesn't do anything, right? It just gave you shade for a day. You care so much about it, yet you don't care at all about these people. How much more should you care for this entire nation that's full of 120,000 people plus animals? What God's trying to do for Jonah is to correct him, correct his heart, to reorient his passions and his values to God. See, when we look back on our lives, we may find that we've been getting really worked up, really passionate, caring a lot about, spending a lot of time, energy, and resources on things that are not really important in God's economy, in God's kingdom. It's just like the story that was in the newspaper of a school of whales that swam too far into the beach and was found dead on the beach because they were chasing after the school sardines. The, the, the newspaper read like this, the group of sea giants was lured to their death because they were chasing after small backsides. That can be us as well, so easily. We can spend so much time and energy chasing after things, fighting for things that actually don't really matter. I love what Thomas Carlyle wrote about this passage in Jonah. He said, And Jonah stalked to his shaded seat and waited for God to come around to his way of thinking. God is still waiting for a whole host of Jonas in their comfortable homes to come around to his way of loving. And it's true. God is still waiting for us to come around to his way of loving today. When we bow down to the God of comfort and convenience, we will lose the spirit of sacrifice and self-denial. And you know what? Jesus shows us this. Jesus is the perfect Jonah. He is what Jonah could, was not. He is what we cannot be. If we are like Jonah, Jesus is the perfect prophet. He is the perfect Jonah. Because see, Jonah wanted nothing more than to die because his enemies repented. He saw his enemies repent. And because of that, he wanted to die. But Jesus was willing to die so that his enemies, you and I, could come to repentance. And this is the heart of our Lord. And this same call and lifestyle is the same lifestyle that Jesus is calling us to. He's desiring a church, a people, you and I, to catch His heart of compassion for people. 
The gospel of the kingdom cannot move on the wheels of wealth and comfort, but only on the blood of the Lamb and the testimony and sacrifice of the saints. And when we catch the heart of the Father, when we catch this compassionate heart of this great God, how we see people will change. How we see people will change. Do you notice how God saw Nineveh? In verse 11, he says, these are people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. They're confused. They're lost. They don't know what they're doing. Do you realize that this is the same um, heart that Jesus had for the people when he was on earth? I'll show you this. In Mark chapter 6, the context is that um, Jesus and the disciples are really, really weary. They're really tired and people are coming and going from them and it's to the point where they can't even get any space, no rest, they can't even eat. And so they withdraw to a solitary place by boat to get some rest and space. And it says this in Mark chapter 6, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And again, at the end of his life, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, being crucified, tortured, dying for our sake, what does he say? Luke chapter 23, Father forgives them for they do not know what they are doing. This is how Jesus sees the world. These are a bunch of people that have no idea what they're doing. Hey, that's how he views us sometimes. Man, these guys have no idea what they're doing. They're lost. They're confused. This is how God, the Father, sees the world. And He's inviting us, come, catch my heart, and let me transform your eyes so that your vision of people matches my vision for people. See, for Jonah, he was, he was so focused on his blessings. He was so focused on how the people looked. He was so focused on, on his own comfort that he missed God's heart for people not like him. He, how he viewed the Ninevites was these are enemies of God. But God wanted him to see, no, no, no. These are people who are lost, who are confused, who have no idea what they are doing. Church, we desperately need to catch the heart of this great God of compassion. I want to end with the story of Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson was a missionary to the Burmese people um, in 1813. Now, interestingly, when he proposed to his wife, Anne, this was his proposal. Give me your hand to go with me to the jungles of Asia and there die with me for the sake of Christ. I know, ladies, line up, right? But and how many women would actually honestly say yes to this kind of proposal? But Anne did. And they landed in Rangoon in the year 1813 and started learning the language and the culture of the Burmese people. Now, it wasn't smooth sailing. It took Judson six years before he could preach his first sermon. It was only after seven years that he could baptize his first convert. It took him 20 years to translate the Bible into Burmese. The price that he paid was huge. Took him, for the 37 years that he was there, okay, he was widowed twice and lost six children 
to tropical diseases. In the 37 years of ministry service, he only returned to his homeland of the United States once. And during the Anglo-Burmese War, he was suspected of being a spy and was imprisoned for two years. But the fruits of his labor were huge. When he landed in um, Burma, Myanmar, in the year 1813, there were no Christians. Zero. Zero Christians in Myanmar. And after 37 years later, in, when he died, 37 years later, in 1850, he left behind more than 7,000 baptized believers in 63 churches. And today, there are more than 3 million churches, uh, Christians in Myanmar. I think Adoniram Judson overcame three roadblocks to making disciples, don't you? He didn't love people just like him. He crossed cultural, language, even the ocean to love on people that were not like him. He wasn't focused on how much he was blessed. He was passionate, focused entirely on being a blessing to others who are far from Jesus. And he wasn't passionate about being comfortable, rich and famous. Don't be a missionary if you want to be those things. Don't be a disciple if you want to be those things. He was passionate about seeing the lost saved and God's kingdom expanded. This is the power of a Christian life. Of a Christian life. Not just a missionary life. Don't you dare think for one second that this is just for those that are called to be mission, missionaries or this, those called to local missions. Those called to full-time ministry. No, 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 no. This is the power of any single one of us who is surrendered and captures the heart of the Father. This is the power of every single one of our lives. When we have eyes, the eyes of the Father, to see people like He does, He will compel us, He will mobilize us, He will empower us to make disciples of all nations. This is what He has called us to do. That is the power of a Christian life church. So, can I invite us all to stand? Let us all to stand. I believe the Lord is challenging us to catch His heart for the people. Yes, we could go out there and there's a missions booth out there and we could go out there and, and yes, I want to sign up for missions. And please do. Please check that out. Absolutely. But you know what? That could still be your duty. That could still be just a duty, a function that you perform. What I want us to do today, right here, is to catch the heart of the Father. And if that's you, I want to pray for us that God will pour out His Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit into our hearts and fill us with the love of God and that He would change our eyes so that we see people like He does. And if that's you, can you just raise your hands in a sign of surrender? And I would just love to pray with you. Okay? I would love to pray for us. If that's you, just raise your hands in a sign of surrender and I want to pray for us today. Let's pray. Oh Lord, how natural it is, how often we see people and things and events with our own earthly eyes. How we love people that are just like us. How we maintain and remain in our own natural bubble of comfort and security. But Lord, 
may we catch your heart, pour out your love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Give us the heart of compassion that you have, that like Jesus Christ, we would see people not as an annoyance, not as a nuisance, not as a burden, but our hearts will break for them. Our hearts will go out and yearn with compassion for them. And that Lord, we will catch a glimpse of your compassionate heart, your loving heart for people. Oh Lord, break our hearts for what breaks yours. In Jesus' name, Amen.